Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Dharma Kelleher to the podcast today. Dharma writes action-driven thrillers that explore the complexities of social and criminal justice in a world that favors the privileged. She is one of the only openly transgender authors in the crime fiction genre. Dharma lives in Arizona with her wife and a black cat named Mouse. Learn more about her and her work at www.queerwomenkickass.com. Her links are all going to be in the show notes. Dharma, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. Uh, Let's start where I always start these conversations. When did you say to yourself, I want to be a writer? Oh, boy. <laughs> I was in my early teens. Um, like a lot of <laughs> a lot of writers, we, we get the bug early. Um, I, I know that I was, uh, and this was a long time ago, mind you. <laughs> We're talking late 70s. So um, uh, I was typing um, short stories on an old manual typewriter and um, just had dreams of becoming the next, you know, big novelist. <laughs> and what, were you always drawn to writing crime fiction, or was it I was, all over the I place? I was also I was drawn to crime fiction. I liked mysteries. I was also drawn to fantasy and science fiction. Um, in fact, my first short stories were kind of uh, paranormal, um, just. Uh, I think my the first one that I wrote was like a really bad version of uh, War of the Worlds kind of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how you learn, right? You imitate exactly, first. Exactly. Because- <laughs> and then uh, I, as I started to get into it, I was uh, subscribed to Writer's Digest. And at the time, Lawrence Block um, was the uh, fiction fiction columnist for the magazine and I started reading some of his books. And I really got into crime fiction then. <laughs> <laughs> now, it sounds like you continue to to write. How did you hone your craft? Was it just by doing or did you take classes or read books? Or? I, um, I read a lot of books. Um, I took some classes in college, a couple of classes in college. And then I kind of put everything on the back burner. I mean, I got a degree in uh, journalism from the University mm-hmm. of Georgia. And, uh, but life intervened as it does sometimes. And I put my creative writing on the back burner for a few decades. And it wasn't until, uh, I think 2007 that I got back into it. And through National Novel Writing Month, which is coming up next month. Yes, it is. Uh, so that's where, uh, I got rebitten by the writing bug. All right, so talk to me about this two set, 2007 Nano uh-huh. project. Did you just sort of say, okay, let's let's do this again? Was yeah, it an idea yeah. that was burbling, you know, it, or I, you know, it it, it 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 had become one of those bucket list things. You know, it's like one day I'm going to write a novel and everything. 
And someone had mentioned uh, NaNoWriMo to me, and I thought, really? That's an interesting concept. And for those that don't know, it's a personal challenge to write a 50,000-word novel in the month of November. Um, And I thought, well, I wonder if I could do that. (laughs) And so I I gave it a shot, and... um, uh, it wasn't a very good novel, <laughs> but it was a first attempt, and I, I managed to accomplish the goal, and uh, I eventually joined a local critique group, and uh, things blossomed from there. The wonderful thing about Nano, uh, for folks listening to this, is that because you're trying to hit this 50,000-word goal in November, you can't self-edit. You've got to keep writing. Got to write. Got to get those 1,600 words a day. (laughs) It's like, Um, but it's a great time to just get out of your own way and write. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you've got this 50,000 word first novel. Mm -hmm. Um, You joined a critique group. What's your process like as far as writing then or now, or I know it evolves over time. It it really did evolve. And, um, uh, I spent several years just honing the craft, um, learning what works and what doesn't. And mm-hmm. I explored a few different genres. I tried a little bit in uh, queer women's fiction and a little bit of fantasy and some sci-fi and just playing around with tropes and ideas and things. And eventually settled on crime fiction just because I, I just love the, I love the genre. Um, and eventually it got to the point I... Uh, written two more novels and finally had something that was worth publishing. It was a little bit different. It was inspired in part by the Sons of Anarchy television series, but from a, a women's point of view. Mm-hmm. And um, and not just the girlfriends that ride on the back of the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> because at the time, I had also become a, a, a biker. I was a part of a women's bikers group. And uh, um, I wanted to tell stories from that point of view. And so um, uh, I had the opportunity to start pitching to agents at a local conference, a local writers conference. And that really kind of pushed me over the edge to really start taking this seriously. And so I pitched to a bunch of agents and a few of them asked for partials. And uh, I think one asked for a full manuscript and they didn't sign with me, uh, but I started pitching to other agents, and I sent out queries to about 90 different agents, <laughs> and I, got, I eventually signed with one, and um, uh, she eventually got me a two-book deal with Penguin Random House. Wow. And so when is this in the in the career? I, this was like 2016, so some years w- went into learning the craft. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the craft, because I think that that's um, that's always evolving for writers. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, what's your you know favorite piece of writing advice you've gotten or given? And what's the worst piece of writing advice you've ever heard? <laughs> My favorite. Uh, gosh. Um, uh, trust your process, honestly, because um, uh, I've found that my process continues to evolve over time. You know, they they like to divide us into uh, those of us 
who are plotters versus pantsers or organic writers uh, or whatever. And most of us are honestly somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I tend to outline first, but inevitably um, I get to a point in the story where I have to completely rework the outline and completely change everything that's going on. <laughs> so I, I tend to be a very um, somewhere hybrid in that. So uh, learning to trust your process, allowing your process to evolve um, I think is a very good bit of advice. Um, the worst advice, um, I don't know. I really, nothing really comes to mind as far as the worst advice other than, uh, anytime, uh, someone says, this is the only way you can do it. The only way that you can become successful is if you have an outline or the only way you can become successful is if you, uh, revise, a dozen times or whatever, because I don't revise a dozen times. I revise a few times and then I turn it over to my editors. (laughs) But, but learning to trust your process, I think is the best way to go. Another good advice, which is kind of along with that is question the premise. Well, I like that um, question, the premise. I mean, I think that that's what I'm hearing you say is um, don't get so stuck on your idea that you're not willing to say, wait a second, this isn't, I need to question this. I need right, to change right. this. Right, right. Because sometimes we get some advice like, um, you know, I remember, you know, there's the there's a whole thing about adverbs. Adverbs are evil or something like yeah. that. And the problem isn't with adverbs. The problem is with weak nouns and, and weak verbs. And so, um, uh, you know, some people say, oh, I never use adverbs. Well, that's fine. Um, yeah. But I use adverbs sometimes if they're needed, if it improves the story. If, if there's not a, a strong verb and noun that say exactly what I want it to say, um, people also go back and forth about uh, dialogue attribution, you know, only you said or never you said, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to figure it out yourself and figure out what works for you and the stories that you're telling. Such great advice and such important advice that, you know, for everyone to hear. I mean, mm-hmm. no matter where you are, you have to rehear that, I think. Um So let's talk about your publishing journey, because one of the things that intrigues me about your um, your writing journey is Mm -hmm. that as you've also taken complete control over your publishing journey. Yes. Um, So and I want to talk about that because I think that that's um, something you and I are going to be doing a session at Sync Integrate Writing at the end of um, October, which I'm really excited about um, so that we could talk about that some more. And Mm -hmm. if if this comes is published after Sync Integrate Writing. It will be in the um, archives for Sisters and Crime members. Um, but I, but let's talk. So 2016, you signed with an agent. You right. got a two-book deal with Penguin Random right. House. What was the genre you were writing in? It, it was crime fiction. It was crime thriller, I call it. Um, and um, it, it went well. Um, it was kind of a unique deal. Um, uh, Penguin Random House was um, experimenting with uh, digital-only imprints. So mm-hmm. this is with their imprint, uh, Alibi. And um, all the people that I worked with there were, were great and fabulous. Um, so my decision to walk away from traditional publishing is not a reflection of them. I love my agent. In fact, when I, when I sent the email to my agent to kind of break up with her <laughs> to part ways. It was a hard, it was, it was like ending a romantic relationship. Like it's not you, it's me. It's just, yeah. 
<laughs> I had tears when I was writing it because she was she's such a wonderful person. But I realized um, that it wasn't a good fit for me because mm-hmm. I really didn't like the cover design. Um, I didn't feel that it really reflected the genre. Um, and it didn't reflect what I felt was the feeling of the stories. Um, I thought I didn't like the blurbs, <laughs> the book descriptions. I didn't think that they really sold the story as well as they could have. Um, and, um, and they didn't do a lot to publicize it. They didn't do a lot to market it, especially after release day, you know, after that mm-hmm. first month or whatever, it's just like, okay, whatever happens, happens. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's it? (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, and so I'm like, I'm not sure I like this. And part of it is because uh, one of the things that I found when my uh, agent was trying to pitch publishers, one of the things that we kept getting back over and over again is we really like this story, but we don't know how to market it. And that's because it was crime thrillers about queer women. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, it's crime thrillers, but you know, and so I decided that it was time for me to, to do my own thing and to become my own publisher. And that meant hiring editors. So I do still hire editors. My books are completely fully edited. I, uh, hired cover designers and do all the professional formatting and everything. So that my book is indistinguishable Uh, is as good, if not better, than something that a traditional publisher might produce. Mm -hmm. And I eventually got the rights back to the first two books, and I think the covers are far superior than what what the traditional publisher created. No offense to the cover designer, but I I think that they're more genre-appropriate. And uh, I think the blurbs are better. In fact, I'm just recently reworking the blurbs again as I... Just keep because your your skills improve over time, and you realize you yeah. know what I can tell this better, um, and so you kind of revisit old stories and just to get them selling a little bit better. Uh, and taking the taking the reins of my publishing journey is a lot of responsibility. It has required a lot of learning. Yeah, yeah. but I think that. Um, Traditional publishing is changing, Uh, advances are getting smaller, and they tend to put their marketing dollars behind people with who already have a huge following, people that are already named so that their marketing efforts appear to do a lot more because they don't have to (laughs) – you hear a Kardashian and it'll sell. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, you know. Um, <clears throat> put James Patterson's name on something and it will sell or Lee Child or whoever, you know. So for new authors, it's a little bit harder to get any traction. Mm-hmm. And a few people manage to break out, but the rest of us are just stuck if that's the route that we go to. And I got what I needed from traditional publishing. I got that sense of validation <laughs> that mm-hmm. comes. It's like, okay, you, you're worthy of being published. It's like, okay, great. Now I can do it myself. <laughs> well, I think I I love, and I want to talk about this a little bit more. I love that you went through all those steps because I think that that's 
uh, so important for people to understand. I remember seeing in, you know, either forum we're both in on Facebook or, mm-hmm. you know, a post that you did that you were, you changed accounting systems. Yes. I mean, it's like you run a business right? and that's what you have to do. Hire people to help you make sure it's a good, blurb, mm-hmm. you, you know, go back and revisit, but that's daunting to some people. And, and you need to be well published no matter how you're published. Um, and there's this tendency to think, well, if I go tradition publishing, all I have to do is write. That is not true. That is yeah. not true. The majority of the marketing responsibilities still falls on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out what to do. And you're still, even if they're the publisher, you still have your own business as an author. You still have to pay income taxes and you still have to track all these different things. And so um, uh, it's just a matter of how much control you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, and algorithms are changing. Yes. And it's not like, you know, you, you can figure it out. And then six months later, you have to figure it out again. Exactly. Because it changed yeah. it again. Yeah. Right. Understanding yeah. branding. You, no matter which uh, publishing path you pursue, you have to understand what is your brand. Um, because it matters. It's it's a way of uh, making a promise to readers. And if readers don't know what your your promise is, if they don't know what to expect from you, they will pass and go somewhere else till they know what they're because there are so many options out there. Yeah, so many more writers. And your brand as an author doesn't mean you're stuck writing in one genre. You no, can change no. genres. You're just you're developing a relationship with you and your reader. Right. So they'll go with you. But maybe, but you, maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big maybe because if I suddenly started writing cozy mysteries, the people that write uh, really read thrillers may or may not come. And if you're a cozy writer and you decide to get dark and gritty and write thrillers, there are a lot of your cozy readers that are not going to come along because they don't want the on-page violence. They don't want the profanity. They don't want any real overt sexuality on the page. So um, if you do change genres, you realize that you're doubling your responsibilities. Yes, yes. (laughs) Depending on the genres. I mean... If, you know, if I started like, studying, write a very similar subgenre uh, with very similar expectations, that's okay. But still, you're going to lose some people and you're going to gain some people. So, yeah. but then you're going to have to market the other books differently. So, um, you know, if I suddenly started writing romance, that's a completely different set of expectations. And romance readers are not going to read my crime thrillers because there's not a happily ever after at, at the end. <laughs> so talk to me about the books that you write you write do you standalone series i write series i write series um i've j- today is launch day for a brand new series congratulations thank you thank you um my my series are all crime thrillers um meaning uh they're not trying to solve a murder so much um my my main characters are not police detectives they're not private investigators per se they're at least not licensed private investigators um the main character of my first series is an outlaw biker trying to live an honest life but continually pulling back into uh, a life of crime to solve whatever situation 
And then I've got um, a another series uh, about a bounty hunter, a professional bounty hunter. Um, they do exist here in Arizona <laughs> <laughs> and in uh, a few other places still. And so um, her job is to, if someone doesn't show up for court um, or their bail gets revoked for whatever reason, she's hired to go grab them and arrest them and bring them back into custody. And chaos ensues. <laughs> so... Um, uh, it's, and so now my new series, uh, is about a young woman who is a, uh, tattoo artist, but she's a little bit of a, a vigilante as well. So <laughs> wow! when friends get into trouble, she, she helps out a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, are they, uh, the, another great thing about being your own publisher is you can run your series for as long as you want. <laughs> yes. Do you ever think about your adding? Do you ever think about winding a series down? Do you Always. ever Always. Them together <laughs> or, or I just recently uh, uh, a few months ago, I published the, the fourth and final book in the Shea Stevens outlaw biker series. And at the time I wasn't sure if I was ready to end it. Um, I ended it on a strong note. Um, I like how it ended. And the main character will probably show up in other stories. I do a lot of crossover between the series. So she she's uh the Shay Stevens has shown up in some of the Jinx Baloo series, and Jinx Baloo has shown up in uh the the new um Avery Byrne series. And so <laughs> there's a lot of crossover, which makes it fun because even if a a, a book series or a series is is done, that doesn't mean that the we won't see old friends again so no which is um, wonderful but i yeah I, I struggled with ending ending that one but i have to be mindful of my time and my resources and what did i really want to focus on and um i really was excited about this new series and working on three different series at the same time was just a little bit too much to tackle so i decided to end uh the first series and i don't have any plans to end the current two series. And how how many books do you publish a year? It varies. It's usually between two and three. Wow. Um, I I'm just trying to balance the time. I still have the old day job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Monday through Friday, so um, I have to balance my time and personal responsibilities at home. But um, yeah, two to three is is manageable to me. Wow. That's a lot of writing. It is. It is a lot of writing. And how, how, cause again, you're your own publisher. So how right. <laughs> you create your own deadlines and then fight your own, <laughs> fight yourself on your deadlines. But how yeah. far in advance do you sort of plan? This is the book that I'm going to be doing or, or, you know, um, it's about a year in advance. My timelines were a lot shorter earlier on. And I realize it's better to have a little bit more lead time mm -hmm. in case things go wonky. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, uh, so I give, you know, plus I, I have to book my editors um, months in advance anyway. So um, I, I have a, a whiteboard over, over here where I have columns for each book that are in progress and 
Uh, it's like, okay, this is where I have to start. This is when it's due to the editor. This is when I have to do uh, sending out press releases and a soft launch because I launch it a, a month earlier on my website before it goes live on Amazon and everywhere else. So um, I, I have to take, keep track of these. And I'm not really good at keeping track of deadlines, so I have to write it down. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's, it works. It works. It works. And do you work with the same cover artist all the time? Um, well, it has evolved. I, I started off with Demanza. They're a great company to work with. Um, and then they started to raise their prices, understandably. You know, I'm not going to begrudge. And one of the things I was running into is... Um, I would, you know, originally I was publishing only eBooks and then I was adding paperbacks and then I was adding hardcovers and, um, print not only with Amazon, but also with Ingram spark and each different format variant was like an extra hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh boy, this is really getting expensive. And if, if I ever dare to like, add in large print or anything else. It's just like, boy. So I became my own cover artist. And that was a lot to learn. It is not something that most authors should do. But um, I was a web developer and designer prior to, and I, my mother was a graphic designer. So I had some understanding of the principles and what works and what doesn't work, as well as the understandings of the genre, because that's really key you think that oh this is such a beautiful cover but unless it conveys what genre what readers can expect it's not going to sell and so um that's that was a big learning curve and understanding how to use the tools as well photoshop and everything so i spent a lot of time watching youtube videos on uh photoshop and and everything and all the different techniques and it's amazing how far it's come i mean yeah. when i think of, when my my mother was a graphic designer prior to digital and all that she had to to do and work with was like photographic and all that stuff. I'm like, wow, I don't know how she did it. <laughs> she, she was super skilled. I mean, and so now it's like, I can use these tools. I mean, I'm, I'm a lousy painter, artist, or drawer. I can't draw a straight line or a face or anything, but I can, I can manipulate photos so I can, I can do the, the work. So. Well, and as you said, every time, you know, you have a different format, you need a new cover and you may want to tweak it a little bit for that different format. So that does give you more capabilities of of doing what you want to do right exactly have you explored audio um i've considered it i'm looking into it one of the challenges of audio is the the expense because Mm -hmm. um narrators want to be paid for their time and understandably so and prices for narration range from like a hundred to several hundred dollars per finished hour and if your book is like 12 hours, um, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And that's just for the narration. Then there's all the engineering and polishing and that, that comes out. So um, I've considered it. I'm not there yet. Um, I've even considered narrating my own, which is another learning curve. Do I have the chops to do that? Do I have the time to do that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm still still considering it. I don't know. Um, it's just one of the great things about being your own publisher is what do I want to do and what are the costs and what are the benefits? So, right. 
Well, and again, you're you're a solo shop, so some people are going to hear this, and you 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 are extraordinary in that you're like, okay, I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, you can also partner with other people. You can find, Absolutely. yeah. There's lots of ways of doing this. There are there are a lot of different options, and uh, for a short period of time, I considered doing a royalty share on ACX Audible. Um, it didn't work out. Um, the, the narrator wasn't as reliable as I needed her to be. I guess her, her home situation, uh, changed and she wasn't able to record anymore. And so, um, plus the, with Audible, you have to be exclusive, um, if you're doing a royalty share and the royalty isn't that much anyway with that. So... Um, I'm still considering my options. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I, if money was no object, I would hire a professional uh, narrator to do it and have it professionally engineered and, and that, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's changing too. I mean, the options are changing and everything else. So yeah, there's now, uh, uh, AI narrated books have greatly improved. They're still not, uh, accepted on find a way or audible. Um, but it's, it's changing. I've toyed with that a little bit with uh, a nonfiction book and it was okay. I, it's surprisingly good, but it has room to improve. So I'm not quite there yet either. <laughs> um, so there, you know, the, one of the, there's been a lot of change in the last 10 years in publishing. Oh, yeah. One of the things is that as you did, you can uh, self-publish or indie publish, Mm -hmm. but you can also traditionally publish. You could do both. You could hybrid and you could figure stuff Mm -hmm. out. Um, But early on in our conversation, you talked about um, traditionally publishing and having a queer protagonist and how that they didn't know what to do with that. Right. Things seem to be changing a bit, but how, where are you seeing um, crime fiction, especially crime fiction for queer crime writers and for for characters, for, for central characters who are queer? Do you think it's getting better? I think it's getting a little bit better. It's getting a little bit better. Um, uh, Robin Geigel got a good deal. I forget her publisher. Kensington. There you go, Kensington. Yes, so um, uh, they're they're more of an independent publisher rather than one of the big five or four or whatever it is now. That's another thing that's changing. Um, uh, so, and I applaud them for doing that. And so, uh, and she, her books, Robin's books are fantastic. If you if you like legal thrillers like John Grisham, you'll love Robin Geigel's legal thrillers because she's a lawyer, so she knows her stuff, and she's a she can tell a really great story. Um, so I think things are getting a little bit better, but at the same time, um, there's a lot of room for improvement. They still don't know how to market as well, especially the big five. They're looking for the whales, the whale authors that will bring in the mass audience. Um, and they're less interested in investing in newer authors, my opinion only. Mm -hmm. And also, there's more of a rights grab. They're more interested in holding on to audio rights, um, ebook rights, um, uh, mm-hmm. technology that is yet to be invented. That's mm-hmm. a that's a little 
a phrase that they like to stick in their boilerplate contracts. Um, and also uh, reversion rights, getting being able to get your rights back. Um, with the dawn of ebooks, uh, books never really technically go out of print. Right. So unless, I mean, I was lucky that my agent made sure that there was some a reversion clause that allowed me to get my rights back. Um, otherwise, books die. They just disappear because no one is promoting them. Mm-hmm. And um, they just disappear after that first month or two, you know. And so um, I'm still less inclined to go the traditional route. Yeah, Um, I have total respect for my fellow authors that continue to go the traditional route. I wish you the best in the trenches there. (laughs) But for me, um, it's just not a good fit. Um, I just need that much control. I think because I write for a queer audience, um, it is a bit of more difficult to find readers, to connect with readers. I've struggled still myself. Um, So... um, it is what it is. Uh, I think more uh, straight readers are willing to read queer fiction. Mm-hmm. They're not as put off by a, a queer character or even a trans character. And I'm focusing on, right now, I'm focusing on trans characters. And that is a double-edged sword. I mean, there are some people that say, yes, we need more of this. And the others like, oh, I, I don't know. I can't relate. Um, so... It is what it is, but I write what I want to write. Right. Which is so important. So important. It is. It is. You know, you're telling the stories you want to tell. Exactly. You know. And having fun doing it. (laughs) Absolutely. I love telling. I love writing. I absolutely do. You know, I I hear the the phrase, I love having written. I love writing. I love editing. I love uh, coming up with ideas and making them better. (laughs) Because if if I'm not enjoying the process, why would I want to do it? I mean, there were easier ways to make money. Yes. 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 But when you're a writer, and that's why I love having these conversations with writers, because the writing journey is one thing. The publishing mm-hmm. journey is another thing. You can't equate your success in publishing right. to your ability as a writer because it's two different things. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome and they're some really talented authors that, that do. And um, uh, I have managed to work through a lot of that uh, in part because of lessons learned from earlier in my own journey of coming to deal with my own identity and who Mm -hmm. I am Mm -hmm. and uh, being honest with why I do what I do, Mm -hmm. you know, getting, getting sober helped a lot and um, uh, just learning to be in the process and to be in the moment. Um, And, uh, but it can be a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, it can be, which is why finding community yes. is so important and, and something mm-hmm. that we don't talk about uh, early on. You, it is a solitary thing, but you have to find other writers. It is. You do. You do. Um, and I, I connect with a lot of writers online. You know, the pandemic certainly put a damper on on connecting in person. Um, and um, I it's been a while since I've been to a Sisters in Crime meeting. Yeah, that that makes a big difference. Community, it's like you said, it's a solitary profession, but we need community yeah. to, to stay grounded. Yeah, 
You really do. So what's you've you're launching a new series today, so yes. folks can find that. Um yep. you market through your website, but it's books are available everywhere. But you should yep. folks who are interested should definitely check out your website because you also you're great at messaging saying, go to my website, you'll get a free story if you if you download from there. You know, you mm-hmm. the business part, you run your business. So um right. it's it's good for people to be inspired by by checking that out. Um, but congratulations again on the Thank new you. series. So what's what what's next? Do you have another idea that you're ever, you know, like where are you? Um I am really trying to build up my direct website sales. Mm-hmm. Um I I'm trying to really incentivize readers because I know, you know, if you've if you've got like a Kindle, you just want to buy from Amazon, and I get that because I have a I have multiple Kindles, you know, and uh, helping uh, readers understand that you can buy direct and still read those books on your Kindle or whatever device you know that you read from, um, because the the tools are out there that it can get delivered to you. And you can still read, you know, the same book on multiple devices. And so learning to to connect with readers in that way and incentivizing direct sales. That's really kind of what where because um, traditionally published, you get paid maybe two, four times a year if you're getting royalties. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and advances are often broken out into three or four pieces or whatever. Whenever that happens, you never know. Um and selling as an indie author through retailers, you get paid every month, which is better than a few times a year, but there's a two-month delay in most cases. Yeah. And now that I'm selling direct, I get paid in a few days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot better. It's like instant money. Yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and so I'm really working on building that out. Um, and so, um, I'm working on that and I'm really, uh, I, I took a four month break from writing just to really kind of focus on the marketing. As I mentioned earlier, I've been reworking my blurbs because it's something, it, it's a separate skill. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like writing a, a, a query letter, a pitch in a query letter, mm-hmm. having, being able to convey a character and a scenario, a story in just a couple of paragraphs yeah. is not an easy task. No. And um, but the same skills that uh, traditional writers use to to do that uh, in a query letter translates very well to a book description or a blurb. And so I've been working on that and really understanding the dynamics of because it's a different type of of, of, of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're hinting, you're connecting on a more emotional level. You're not just telling a story. Yeah. So it's, I've been learning that. So learning new skills. I always like learning new skills. <laughs> well, marketing is quite a, I mean, there's so many things possible now, but it, again, it changes. Um, it does. Yeah. But, but it's a great skill to have. It is. It is. And just understanding what you're, you know, some people are like going on TikTok and everything. I, I don't think that I'm going to go there. It's, I'm too old for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really a video person, really. Um, so, but full applause for, for those that are pursuing that route. But understanding what opportunities are out there and what is a good fit for you is really part of the challenge. And, and realizing that everything is about to change always. Things always. are always changing. New technology is coming in. Old technology is changing. Things that you relied on may go away. 
So flexibility, that's one of the things that I've really tried to build into my business is flexibility. Yeah. Uh, it's why I chose not to be exclusive with Kindle Unlimited um, because if some if they change their algorithms or change the way they pay people, yeah. boom. Yeah. And that's happened to people. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, you mentioned TikTok and right now book talks a big, a big, Mm-hmm. you know, big movement and stuff, but we rent social media. You own your website, you own your mailing list, but you rent social media so they can do anything they want on right. social media and you have no control. Right. Exactly. So yeah, just understanding really, and I think that's what authors really need to learn is uh, whether what regardless of route, what route they choose, they have to understand uh, choices and consequences, yeah. because that's what it ultimately comes down to, and understanding that everything is going to change, and it's going to change again, and it's going to change again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing that's certain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As does your writing, how you exactly. write. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm I'm thinking about the next uh, Avery Byrne book, and like, where am I going to take the story? What what side plots and, you know, cause I tend to focus on these big things like big gangsters or big corrupt politicians. Like what if I change it to a little bit more intimate, more personal? I'm like, I don't know what happens. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? It is. It is. It's a challenge. It's like, okay, you know, I've got all these ideas. It's like, okay, well, how can I turn this and change that? And one of the fun things I'm doing with um, uh, this series is the, the titles are all uh, collective nouns, uh, names for groups of birds. So the first one is a conspiracy of ravens. Oh. That's what you call a, a flock of ravens is a conspiracy. The next one is an old favorite, a murder of crows. Um, and there's going to be a parliament of owls. Oh, that's A awesome. congress of eagles. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, there, it's a lot of fun. And all of these are birds that are native to Arizona. So um, I'm even going to do like a, a squadron of pelicans because a few years ago I described there are pelicans in Arizona. We're not even on the ocean, but we have pelicans here. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's a different species. of it's, White pelicans are riparian. They they follow rivers rather than the shoreline. Wow. And I, I was right here uh, just south of uh, Phoenix. Uh, out in the middle of the desert, there's this um, river that kind of flowed over, uh, created a kind of a pond area. And I, I, I stopped and was noticing these birds that kept diving into the water. And I looked closer and I'm like, holy crap, those are pelicans. Oh, that's so in the desert. great. That's so great. <laughs> so, you know, I, these ideas kind of sparks like, well, what could I do with that? What could, you know, a squadron, may, maybe a squadron of pelicans has to do with, um, the air force or some, something like that. And like, where, you know, so where can I tie it in? (laughs) Having fun with it. Yeah. Wandering off into space and just sort of, Oh, that could be great. Yeah, exactly. And when you're doing this, I don't, um, do you, do you have an idea for a book or an idea in general and say, this would work better for this series, or this is better for this series, or this is better for a story? You know, I, a little bit. And sometimes it's a challenge. It's like, okay, I've done that idea to death. What am I, what else am I going to try? You know, um, I've, you know, so sometimes it's a bit of a challenge, but, um, yeah, I'll, I'll come up with an, I still had more ideas for the Shea Stevens biker series. 
Uh, and I, I'll come up with a, a series of titles that I like, you know. Um, and I've got a bunch of titles that I never got to use for the Shea Stevens series. I'm like, okay, maybe I can use those elsewhere, or maybe I'll write yeah. a short story, or who knows what. So, but you know, I just, I just allow myself the yeah. creativity. I allow it to be fun. Yeah. You know, when we were kids, we used to play. Let's pretend. What if? What if this was happening? And don't take it so yeah. seriously. If it's when we take it so seriously, it's got to be perfect. It doesn't no. have to be perfect. Just have fun oh, with it. That's so doesn't have to be perfect. Make it sure it's fun. These are the two of the best yeah. pearls of wisdom and feel like a the great... passion of the author turns into passion for the reader. Yeah. It really does. It is. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your passion and your wisdom thank uh, you. with all of us. And again, congratulations on the new series. Thank you so it's much. So exciting. Thank you. And um We'll put any uh, connections to your social media and your website in the show notes. So I encourage people to go there. Thank you, Dharma. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.